Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Once again, welcome to visitors. Thank you for coming to share this amazing time with us as we commemorate the sacrificial death of Jesus who willingly gave his life for us. And as a pastor, I have the privilege of preparing for times like this. And um, so maybe have a little bit more time than you to meditate on the wonder of the cross, his burial and his resurrection. And I'm always overwhelmed. I'm always overwhelmed at the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. And reading through the Gospels and what Jesus Christ went through for you and I. What a privilege. What a privilege today. My key text today is from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And when we read chapter 12, we need to read it in the context of chapter 11. Because this is, in a sense, a continuation of what the writer was speaking about, the heroes of our faith that went before us and, and suffered for this eternal kingdom that they would once one enter to, enter into, and he starts chapter 12 with this. Am I in a little bit of a box up here? He starts chapter, yeah, can you, um, thank you, <laughs> I get an echo in the back of my head, yeah. He starts chapter 12 with this from verse 23, talking of those witnesses. He says, since we are surrounded, surrounded by such a great child cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, is not only the author but the perfecter of our faith, whom for the joy, and this is a key text, set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him today, church, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you too will not grow weary and lose heart. And church, we know that Jesus Christ went through many trials and tribulations whilst on earth. In Hebrews 4.15, the writer tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And over and above that, church, and this is the main thing, and this is what we commemorate today, he endured the agony of the cross with joy. The joy set before him. What an incredible scripture. Because we know that there was no joy in dying on a cross. We see in the garden, in all of the gospels, stories of in Gethsemane, Jesus in deep distress. And he asks his father three times, three separate times while he's praying. He says this, to him, he asked him, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
He knew the pain and the agony of the cross. In Matthew 26, from verse 36, you can read this uh, of the story of the, the time in Gethsemane. But I'm just going to read the first few verses to just give you an inkling of what Jesus went through physically for us. It says this, after the supper, the last supper, he went uh, with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said this to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and, his two, and, the, and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said this to him, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus walked this earth fully man. God incarnate. He lived his life like you and I do. He lived a sinless life. He suffered. And even like you and I, if we were anticipating the death we would have if it was on a cross, I'm sure we would feel like this. This was not supernatural God on the cross. This was Jesus, the Son of God, that was praying for us. And he said to them, please keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. Just picture this and pray. Father, if it is at all possible, may this cup be taken from me. And here's the key. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. You see, God loved us. The Bible tells us in John 3, 6, in that he loved the entire world. He loves us all. Not everybody responds to that love. And God has given us a free will and free will actually proves love. That's why it has a free, given us a free will. Free will proves love. Because if he forced us to follow him, that wouldn't be an act of love. That would be called abuse. And so he gives us a choice. And had this plan, knowing that uh, in the first garden, man would rebel against God. And in the second garden... Jesus here would prepare himself to pay the price for our sins. For the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on this cross. That whomsoever would believe in him, the whomsoever. Christianity is not an exclusive religion. You don't earn it. It's received by grace. But there's only one way. And whom will ever believe in him? will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, church, as bad as the physical pain was, of suffering was, I believe that the cup Jesus was bearing was the shame that a sinless man would have to carry as he took upon himself the sin of the world. And I believe that was the hardest thing for him to bear, yet he willingly did it. I believe it was the same of the sinless one, bearing our sin. 
And we read in Isaiah 53, this is 600 years before the, 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 the birth and uh, the life of Jesus. Isaiah through Revelation has this revelation of the Messiah coming to save us. And in Isaiah 53, he says this, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as he's looking ahead in time to the cross. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. My way. I did it my way. The anthem of the last century. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity and the sin of us all. You see, on the cross would bear the full weight of our sin and rebellion. And for a moment, for the first time in eternity, his father would look away from him as he carried that sin. And he'd feel forsaken by his heavenly father. We read in Matthew 27, 45 to 46, I encourage you to go through the gospels and read the account in each one of them, of the death, burial, and resurrection. It says this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sinless one. So the question today for me is simply this. What was the joy set before him? What was the joy Jesus focused on when the pain was too much to bear on the cross? And the answer, church, is absolutely amazing. The joy was you and I. We are his joy. It was the joy of our reconciliation with our Father. The joy of seeing the prodigal sons and daughters making their way back home to their dad. Jesus knew that he had to die so that we could truly live. He knew that he had to be nailed to the cross to set us free from the, from the consequence of sin and the pain and suffering and torment that we go through. We can use drugs to set us free from temporal torment. We can use our lifestyle of fun and joy. And yes, we do get some worry, but it is temporal. Jesus came to set us free. Amen. Totally free in every era of our life. Forever. He knew that his body had to be Broken and beaten for our healing and our deliverance. And more than that, he knew that to abandon the cross would mean that he was abandoning us for eternity. This wasn't a light thing he carried. He carried upon himself, church, the sin of the world. And they knew too that there was no other way by which men could be saved except through him. And therefore, he saw the joy.
He saw the joy set before him. He saw through the circumstance. He saw through the cross. I mean, that's why the, the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Many of us are going through circumstances. None of us have been through anything like this. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will see through the pain and we'll see the joy that is set before us just as Jesus did. That's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, in John 14, Jesus is preparing for this moment. He's in the upper room and he starts this conversation with the disciples. They still not quite know what, what's going on. In fact, even after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1, they still not really know what he was going to do. But he's preparing them. And he says this. He's speaking about the way to the Father. And Thomas asks a good question. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And there's no man comes to the Father but by me. And many people use that to say Christianity is exclusive. Now I want to tell you this. If that was the only fire exit in this business, in this, in this place, and there was a fire in here and none others, would you stand here and say, I'm not going through that door because it's the only one? And yet, that's what we people say. He's the, that's exclusive. No. You choose. You can choose to burn in here. And this is physical and spiritual connotation. <laughs> Turn or burn, no, the good old days. Or you can go through the door. But there's only one door, and his name is Jesus. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this further on again in, in Isaiah 53. He says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root of dry ground. This is speaking of Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. We know one of the reasons that Jesus was crucified because he did not Come as a king born in a palace. He came as a servant born in a stable. And that becomes a stumbling block to many. They were waiting for a king. And this was the king, the servant king. And God himself walked around them for those years. And many never recognized it. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one who men hide their faces as he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took upon himself our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, 
and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. He was crushed on the cross for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all need salvation, church. Because we are all like sheep that have gone astray. And each one has turned away from the way, the truth and the life, to his own way. I want to serve Jesus, but he's got to fit into my life. I will do this if he fits in. That's not how Jesus served us. He gave us everything. He goes on to say this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the sins of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet we, he did not open his mouth. Read the story. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Yet Jesus... The Bible tells us, endured the cross with joy. Jesus died for the very ones who killed him in order to save the ones who could not save themselves. And on that cross, his last words were not a cry of defeat. Church, He knew what he was doing. He knew he had to do this. And although he was greatly troubled by it, on that cross, he shouted a shout of victory that he had paid the price once and for our all for our sin, past, present, and future. And in a loud voice, he shouted, It is finished. Church, let's give him a hand. You see, church, he had run his race with perseverance at that time. And he finished the race marked out for him. And Sunday, we'll come back We'll speak about the resurrected Savior. The sin of all mankind was paid for, and forgiveness and redemption was made available to all who would believe. I don't know where you are with God today. You could have gone to church your whole life, but if you lived in a garage, that would not make you a car. Because you come to church through a tradition, that does not make you a born-again believer. It's when you accept Him as His Lord and Savior. When you believe that He died for your sins and He rose again on the third day. And if you have questions, we will help you through them. But church, I tell you this today. There's only one way. And that is Jesus. 
And he loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family. He also doesn't want us, church, as his children, to be lukewarm. It's not only for the ones. He was all in. He was all in. And that's what he requires of us. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture, with all the other favorite passages of Scriptures, I think I say this every Sunday. (laughs) But let's use this one for today. (laughs) Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. Paul. We'll talk about Paul quite a bit on Sunday. And his vision of the risen Christ. He started off as a man bent on killing Christians. And we'll talk about that on Sunday. But it says this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in this one act. Don't ever base your love, the love of God for you, on your circumstance. Or on you've fallen away from God or whatever. It's not a he loves me, he loves me not. I'm good, he loves me. I'm bad, he loves me not. He demonstrated his love, and he actually says, I cannot love you any more than this one thing. And this is what it is. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved From God's wrath through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Relationship broken by sin in the first garden was restored with our Heavenly Father. God sent His Son to pay the price for our sin. Not so that we just could be holy, righteous, and glow in the dark. He prayed for our sin so that relationship broken by sin could be restored with His Son. That's all He ever wanted. is a restoration of relationship. And He looks at you, and He, he, he looks at you, and He calls you home. Whether you're a prodigal or you've never known him, you can be reconciled. I want to finish with this, and uh, Mark's going to lead us in, in, in breaking of bread. That amazing song, I just want to read this few words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amen. Just going to take this opportunity to celebrate communion together.
and invite the servers to come forward, please, with the elements. I'm going to do it a little bit differently than when you usually do. Uh, just remain seated, and the servers will bring this to you. I want you to hold the bread in your hand for a little bit. I want you to hold the juice in your hand a little bit and think of the reality of what we're doing today as we celebrate um, and consider the weight of what Jesus did for us at the cross. Pick up the story at the Last Supper, Jesus' final meal with his very closest friends with his disciples. The Gospels say, Now at the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Judas went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Significant event in the nation, the Jewish nation. One of the most significant feasts was Passover, remembrance back to the Old Testament where they would kill a lamb and, and how God passed over the families and saved the lives of the firstborn. No accident that this was taking place on that very event and the picture of Jesus as that perfect lamb. So his disciples were together in the upper room. And this must have been a very confusing night to them because they had spent three years with Jesus and seen amazing miracles and amazing um, crowds and teaching and, and just phenomenal things had taken place. And I think they had an anticipation of better things yet to come, an earthly kingdom, a, a, a rule and a reign, a headquarters in Jerusalem, getting worship straightened out, getting rid of the Romans, all of these things they had in their mind. And yet, toward the end of this period, Jesus began to talk about his death. It must have been very confusing for them. And he was preparing his followers for his death. So they're very confused. And then there's this talk of one of the twelve betraying Jesus. Right at the table, the intimacy of the table, Jesus says, one of you is going to sell me out, is going to rat me out to, to the religious leaders. So it must have been a very, very confusing time. Um, in the life of the disciples, thinking that it was all going to be wonderful. And here Jesus is talking about his death and preparing them for what was going to take place in just a few hours. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said, I've earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There was no surprise here. Jesus didn't get trapped or hoodwinked. He knew exactly what was taking place. He was going to lay his life down for those twelve and for all of us that would follow. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Something very simple. He just took bread and he broke it. And they each took a piece and I'm sure there was a, a quiet moment there. Jesus took this bread. And he gave thanks. And he broke it. 
And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this remembrance of me. We're going to do this right now. We're going to eat this bread. It represents his body, that tangible, that real, that he would give his very body for us. Let's take that now. Throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, blood is life. Blood represents life. It mattered to God. From the life of an animal to the life of a human, blood represents life. And Jesus took that cup, and after he had had eaten the bread, Jesus said this, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. It's a new arrangement. (laughs) It's a new beginning in God. And he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take that cup now. Jesus, we're blown away. I'm blown away by your body and your blood. We receive these symbols gratefully this morning, Lord, in our hearts to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sorry, Mark. Church, um, How can we not worship this King today? Just go up with some worship and celebration. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you. And um, look forward to seeing the ones that are part of this church here on Sunday if you can make it. We have coffee and hot cross buns out there to you for you to like to fellowship a bit. Thank you.